the fourth word. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hi, my name is Mary Benkin, and I am the pastor of Grace and Peace Lutheran Church in Peoria, Illinois. Before I came here, in what now feels like another life, I spent a year studying how communities who have been through genocide experience religion. In Guatemala, I interviewed Mayan survivors of the Civil War who told me stories of soldiers burning their villages and shooting their sons outside churches. In Rwanda, I spoke to people whose entire extended families were cut down by machetes. I spent time with Syrian refugees who had fled to the Turkish border as ISIS blew up their homes and disappeared their co-workers. I sat with members of the Muslim, Sikh, and Christian minorities in India who had been victims of pogroms by nationalist groups that bore an alarming resemblance to current movements here in the United States. Everywhere I went that year, I had to ask people to share the worst things they had ever been through, and in return, they asked me to hold with them harrowing tales that nobody should ever have to tell. Tales of friends buried alive, uncles torn apart by dogs, cousins set on fire, daughters raped, nephews conscripted into enemy armies, mothers and fathers never seen again, bodies never recovered. I heard about betrayal by neighbors, execution of religious leaders, entire communities wiped from the face of the earth, and resounding indifference from the rest of the world. Yet even as these stories were told, the people telling them told them in great faith. I set out on my year of study expecting to find people who felt deserted by God and who lashed out in anger at another person's trust in the divine after what they had gone through. But in fact, the opposite was almost always true. The people who shared their stories also shared some of the most profound statements of faith I have ever heard. Their experiences of God were deep and personal and sustaining. I confess I did not always share their faith. Sometimes I heard their stories and found myself so full of rage at the injustice that God had allowed that if God had shown up in the middle of the interview, I might have spat in their holy face. Other times I heard these stories, and the words brushed against a ringing hollowness in my heart that insinuated maybe there was no God after all. I am hardly the first student of theology to struggle in the face of a sin as monstrous as genocide. Much of my study was indebted to the work of post-Holocaust Jewish theologians, who have wondered with great sensitivity about how to reconcile the loving God we profess with the evil that persists in creation. One such theologian is Rabbi Harold Kushner, who in 1981 published a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Among other examples of suffering, Kushner wonders why God did not prevent the Holocaust. Where was God while all this was going on, Kushner writes? Why did he not intervene to stop it? Why didn't he strike Hitler dead in 1939 and spare millions of lives and untold suffering? Or why didn't he send an earthquake to demolish the gas chambers? Where was God? Kushner writes that in compassion for us, 
God comforts us and equips us to rise above suffering. God, Kushner firmly believes, is all-loving, but perhaps not all-powerful. It's a curious question, this idea of power. As limited human beings, we usually imagine power to have something to do with might or with strength, with the ability to control or dominate or influence. To those who demonstrate a mastery of what we understand as power, we attribute authority and sovereignty, clout and prestige. To be powerful is to be able to make decisions about your own life and perhaps even to govern the lives of others. But I think we misunderstand the fullness of what power means. Throughout the Bible, God comes to us despite the vast power gap between creature and creator, choosing not to remain at a safe distance, but to dwell with us even in the face of the sin and death against which we are powerless. God redefines power, not as ruling over, but as walking alongside. And this power is most fully revealed in weakness and in mercy, in a vulnerable baby born in lowly circumstances in Bethlehem, and in the horror of an innocent man nailed to a Roman cross. The fourth of the seven last words of Jesus is not a saying so much as an anguished lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This cry of despair is the last thing that Jesus utters in the Gospel of Mark, and it is a piercing question about God's absence. What are we to make of it, that our incarnate God himself should die with a wail of divine abandonment on his lips? I think it is this. On the cross, God encounters the fullness of human suffering, and God is changed by it. Tortured to the brink of death, God suffers physical violence and spiritual rejection just as intensely as we do. And in that moment, the power gap between creature and creator is collapsed. We are reconciled with the maker and sustainer of the universe because God joins us in our deepest, truest humanness and redeems it. When God submits to the dominion of sin, sin is ended. When God willingly undergoes death, death is defeated. From the cross, our God cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And with these words, we are assured that we have a God who hears and sees and loves us so completely that we will never be forsaken. Amen. <laughs>